Hey, this is Harpo the Healer. Welcome to the third podcast in the Harping with Harpo series. And it's terrific that you've taken some time out and decided to stop by. RJ and I continue the theme of picking a Harpo YouTube video to discuss, but we've expanded it somewhat in that we're, today we're looking at several. All about blues harmonica, blues in general, and the development of the genre. Later, we finish by talking about a great icon in music to finish off the discussion. In this episode, we're looking first at the beginner's video, the Harpo the Healer style, which is different from the traditional ways. It's focused on the student moving forward in a creative way from outset and learning how to learn, and not just by rote. The other two videos of reference are Harpo's train videos, Age of Steam and Train Sounds. Again, very different from the traditional train sounds used on harmonica. And this Harpo does in compositional form to tell his stories and draws his ideas from, well, perhaps unusual sources, converting and improvising band scores onto the blues harmonica, which is his unique way and approach. And understand how all this fits in to the blues harmonica world. Now, as mentioned before, RJ's a student of mine, He's developing his heart plane, who's happy to share his thoughts on blues harmonica while he's learning the instrument. And these discussions, of course, aim to be informative, interesting, entertaining, and who knows, somebody might even listen to these and think, I'm going to take up the blues harmonica. I remind you that, as well as the free podcasts, Harpo the Healer uploads free tutorials on the Harpo the Healer YouTube channel, which really do provide a deeper insight into the teaching philosophy. So, this recording was made on 20th of October 2020 with RJ and these are long distance recordings of our discussions via internet technology. We started initially by referencing a Harper the Healer video tutorial to kickstart the conversation on Blues Harmonica. Hey RJ, how's it going today? It's going well Harpo, thanks. Excellent. Okay, we're going to look at one of my videos today, one I put up on the net. Um, it doesn't really matter whether the listeners can get to it or not. For people starting out on the, uh, on the blues harmonica, right at the very first stages. Okay, so you had a look at it. What did you make of it? Yeah, no, I thought it was good, um, Harper. Yeah, it covers a lot of uh, initial ground that you probably would need. Um, ticked all those boxes. Yeah, I liked it. And the, actually, the three blind mice was a good little exercise at the end to get people started. And all good. I think I'll recommend it to people if they were, were interested in picking up the instrument and wanting to give it a try. You know, it's worth it. It's yeah. always difficult. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things. The, the, the nursery rhyme business, it's not, to, it's not ideally what we want to be doing. But um, nevertheless, when you first start out, it's, it's a really good idea to have a go at because it helps with, with learning intervals and just helps you way around the harmonica, I think, you know. Can you, can you, if I take you back, I mean, you've been playing for a while now and you're getting all your skills up really well. But if I just take you back to when you first started, obviously, when I, I came across you, you'd already done all this. You were, you were doing some bends and all the rest of it. But um, if I just take you back to when you first got the harmonica. How did you find those uh, early days? Yeah, they were interesting because, in fact, when I started, funny enough, and I think this might lead on to some of the other stuff we might talk about later, mm. is some of the things that attract people 
to harmonica and I think when you hear harmonica it's quite interesting because you can it's such a versatile little instrument and obviously you've got there's a folk side of it there's um, there's obviously the blues side of it but some of the things that I read about and heard about were these kind of these train sounds and very early noises that people were able to make and if you hear some of those old recordings they're amazing what these guys were doing very inventive very you know the, the little sounds the and you know it's not just the train sounds there's other ones um, there's a thing called fox chase and a lost john which you can hear sunny terry does that it's an interesting technique because the thing is that you, we shouldn't discard these techniques because although they're a bit they're a bit uh, novelty you might sort of say they help say for instance the lost john is all about breathing it's all about circular breathing which is a good thing to learn and, and it helps to work out how if you're playing the harmonica you've obviously got to get air in you've got to get air out and these are sort of just little tricks or um, tools in terms of these little, it's easy nursery rhyme type songs to get a handle on the instrument itself. So it's definitely the best place to start, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, I put something on my Twitter the other day, I think I mentioned to you, I might not have seen it yet, where I'd seen that, um, you know, in, in the medical profession, believe it or not, they use harmonica now for um, respiratory problems and suggest mm -hmm. people with emphysema, all this sort of stuff, or any problem with respiratory that to, to would you believe to take up the uh, little diatonic yeah. harmonica because the actual breathing in and breathing out is, is um, absolutely what they're, what they're looking for. And of course, the portability, the fact that it's one of probably the only instrument I know that you blow out as well as breathe in. So yeah. I think there is absolutely, yeah. one or two others, but I've not... Uh, they're a rarity. I've not come across it. Um, yeah, because so, obviously, yeah, the sax, the saxophone is just breathing out. I guess is it? It's not the same. Yeah, it's is all it? blowing. Yeah, it's all blowing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so um, as you were previously, your previous yeah past, you were playing sax. So, do you think it's different in that sense? The harmonica. If someone say learned the saxophone. Would they find that transition strange going from a saxophone to a harmonica? It, it would sense? be unusual because unless they played harmonica in early days, they might get frustrated with having to get some of the notes when they've been mm. messing around for long enough. That, somewhere when, you're else. The, when you're on the saxophone, obviously, if you're blowing out, do you yeah. do that circular breathing thing? Yeah, as well? you do the circular breathing, but the circular breathing on a harmonica is, is, is slightly different. Mm. Um, what we do on the saxophone, we sort of puff the cheeks out, and and you pull, you push the cheeks out, tighten up the embouchure, and then you, as you as you blow, uh, then you breathe in through your nose at the same time. When mm. you circular breathe on the uh, on the little harmonica, you can do it uh, in a way easier. Uh, mm. It's not quite the same technique. It's a slightly different technique. Mm. But it's, slightly, it's actually, once you know how to do it, it's actually easier than... Um, you can almost end up doing it intuitively because you just know, but it's quite good. Like I say, there's that track called Lost John, which Sonny Terry does, and it's a very simple track. Once you get that, I think Woody Guthrie does some talking, or he, he does it yes. with Woody Guthrie, and... Sonny Terry is just staying in the background playing this little thing. It just goes over and over. It's just a real simple thing. And uh, it's quite a good one to sort of try and understand. And you can always realise, like, from a very simple bit of playing, you can get a whole song out of it. It's, um, it's quite interesting. Yeah. And I think, so I think from, from, from starting out on this thing, 
it's in some ways it's good if people start from absolute zero because they've got nothing to to gauge mm. anything against. Sometimes when people are already proficient on other instruments, it can be a little bit of irritation for them because they realise, mm. oh, mm. I've, I've got to actually try and work at these notes. Where if you're mm. starting from absolute scratch and you don't really know anything else, it mm. sometimes it's, it seems easier to move forward because everything's a bonus, you know. But yeah, um, yeah. Yes, I agree. I, mean, I think sometimes a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing in some ways, but it's always good to, if you have a little bit of an understanding of theory, I guess, in music, because maybe you've learned another instrument. I mean, when you, presumably, again, when you study, they tell you to sort of have uh, an instrument that you can maybe play two things. I mean, you know, when you play a piano, you've got the chords with your left hand, you could get the a rumble or a shuffle going, for instance, and you could play a little bit lead over. And that's really useful because if you want to try and work out a scale, for instance, if you're learning, but on the harmonica it's a little bit harder because you have to, you're just playing, say, the lead or the scale and you haven't got anything to sort of, unless you've got somebody else playing with you. Yeah, I found over the years that people with absolutely no knowledge do advance on the harmonica pretty quickly, as you say, because they don't have any preconceived idea and mm, you mm, can mm. actually coach this thing without any musical theory at all they can actually go down that track if they want but they yeah don't yes. necessarily have to to get good so mm. so it as you quite rightly say it could be a handicap or it might not be obviously mm. more musical knowledge is preferable but mm. um with this instrument no i think you can do it I think you can do it with that. I think you can do it either way, just as just as well. Do you think? Are you going to um, do some additional bits of material for people to get? Do you think, in terms of initial, are you going to do a little series of starter videos? Um, that that may 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 come about. I mean, this this mm. first one I I'd done with the um, was an interesting one because I don't think anybody's really thought about the um, the nursery rhymes from the perspective I do, but I can see the the long-term uh, benefit of it. Obviously, with the with the blues harmonica, we go down different tracks, so it's not really necessary to hear hear all the intervals and, and everything. But um, yeah, that that may be may be on the horizon. I, mean, I think from I think when I was learning, I think these all these little videos and things that you can see in books are good. But I do think sort of working with you in terms of my training, studying, has probably been more helpful. In terms of getting somewhere, progressing, because oh, I think you can progress. Uh, yeah, but you know, the, the learning process can be accompanied with like these little videos, little bits of books, and things like that. But I think it's actually always really good if you can get some instruction from someone who's already playing, and they can kind of get you, you know, heading in the right direction. Yeah, that probably leads us on to this um, another video that I did. Uh, mm. People can see on the internet again for the listeners. It doesn't really matter. You just listen here, but you can look it up later. Called the Age of Steam, with the blues harmonica. Now, what I've done here is using the little blues harmonica, creating sort of uh, train sound style things, but not in the traditional sense that we all associate with, like the harmonica of making these train sounds. Now, I know you've had a chance to have a look back at that one, the Age of Steam. What were your What were your thoughts on this one, RJ? Yeah, I mean, it's another, it's definitely another take on this, the train concept, which is a really good concept, because if you think it's all about movement, and you can get a lot out of that as an idea, 
and there's an element of obviously a train, the repetitive sound of a train. If you can get that groove going, there's that aspect, and then you can kind of in, input maybe little different sounds to emulate. But it, the traditional train emulation, imitation things, we're trying to really imitate it. But I think your um, version is really interesting. It's just a different take on it, and I think it's really interesting. It's a good one. Yeah. And I'll tell you where I got the idea from. There's a, a wonderful, great jazz saxophonist, baritone player called Jerry Mulligan. And he's a, a fascinating character. I know we're all talking about blues harmonica, but it, it really is very important to highlight him. And he was an arranger, a composer. He'd done one on the, the, the Age of Steam video I did. He'd done one in the 70s called K4 Pacific. Um, and Pacific being a reference to these great, engines that pulled people all over America. They were sort of the workhorses for mm. travel from probably mm. the turn of the century right up to late 50 when diesel came in in the States. So, um, so that was what the intention was then. The idea was to get the blues harmonica and somehow lift the um, idea off the sort of big band arrangement or a small band arrangement of quartets. So, Basically, I'd looked at the, um, the blues harmonica and I'd looked at uh, Jerry Mulligan and K4 Pacific's arrangement, either in big band or with his small quartet, and thinking, how could I put it onto the blues harmonica? So what I've done, I've, I've used third position, and ironically or whatever, it seems that that worked perfectly when he'd written his horn arrangements as well. So everything seemed to fit perfectly in third position with the blues harp. And there wasn't actually too many bends on it or anything. Yeah. So I thought, well, this is great. So, um, so I actually kind of worked it out. And where there was a certain chord that I couldn't get, I worked out the harmony to think what would work and how I could use it in place of what they were doing. So mm. that then I could, I could emulate roughly their composition. Mm -hmm. um, now, from a compositional standpoint, RJ, what did you think of the, of the, the train idea? Did it, did it, did it work? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. And um, obviously, I'm not familiar with Jerry Mulligan's piece. But obviously, no. the the idea is there, and um, it's definitely it's in your style. And it's I can see what you're doing. I can definitely hear what you're doing. Yeah, and it definitely worked. The interesting thing with Mulligan is he, he took a baritone saxophone. Now I'm, I'm going to bring this down to the blues harmonica. Yeah, and the fact that. When a baritone's played really fast improvising, it can sound like a B taking off because it's a very low sound, like that all the way up. Yeah. And, if, and it's okay in small chunks, but it, you have to be quite very melodic. And he was an arranger and all the rest of it. And he could see this. When you look at the blues harmonica, when you, you mentioned it on a previous podcast, how it works fantastic for blues. And we're bending these notes. We're doing all mm. these wonderful things. When you start going really into really, well, the guys at the top of the pilot can do really fast uh, things. Mm. I'm not so sure that that works. So I think if it works, that they should actually look at it from a different point of view because the blues harmonica, the reeds are very close together. The sounds are very close together. And when you play it really fast, if you're able to do that, it can sound similar to that baritone sax. In fact, all the notes mishmashing together. Mm, and to mm. my ears then, 
it can sound, although these guys at the top of the pile aren't doing it, it can actually sound out of tune because they're playing all these bends and things like that. Whereas mm. when you and I play the blues, mm. it's never really out of tune. We, we sort of, we can recognize the odd thing, but, but by and large, it isn't out of tune because we're doing it deliberately really so yeah yeah you want that quality i guess that quality comes in with the nature of the blues music yes um in the you obviously say you're looking at in the terminology of say jazz you'd have the head the tune the main sort of riff yes you could kind of riff back into so you want to kind of make that fairly clear as the sort of reference point Mm. and then you want to then sort of improvise around that with you know the third position the second position and yeah, there's definitely notes that can kind of you can do, what they call dirty up the sound, don't they? You can kind of bend notes, you can kind of play notes together. Certain notes will work, certain notes won't. It just depends how they're placed. But you know, the good thing about the blues is it is it has that ability to tolerate these extreme sort of discordant sounds. Would, it, would that be? Yeah, and and, and see, Mulligan and his baritone is arranging and everything else. Now, I might have mentioned this earlier, but I just mentioned yeah. it that. Um, there's a great little book of his, a biography mm. of his, where he talks about his life and about um, when his, uh, his ex-girlfriend was dying of cancer, the actress Judy Holliday. He travelled from the East Coast all the way across to California to see her, and he hitchhiked it. And um, his uh, lot of footage of him in those old black-and-white detectives, Peter Gunn, where he's playing in the jazz club where Peter Gunn goes down and all the, mm. all the music. So he's... And he's steeped in arranging and he's done a lot of Hollywood things. And But that was sort of the inspiration for taking the, the little oh. blues harmonica and yeah, looking at things. Yeah. And then studying him, I realised yeah. that um, when people go to music college or, or improvisational college or jazz or blues college or whatever you want to call it, you yeah. in the big bands, they'll, they'll have Duke Ellington and they'll probably have Count Basie of which school. Mm. And I always gravitated towards Basie. I love Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington is mm. probably the greatest 2,000 pieces he wrote. Nobody will ever write as many pieces in their life. But I tended to gravitate to Basie. Mm. Well, Basie's basically a blues band. It's basically mm. a big blues band. Mm. Now, I, mm. You're not kind of aware of it at the time, but that's what it is. And mm. same when the college students get into Charlie Mingus. They come from the funk world, then they get heavily into Charlie Mingus. But basically, Mingus is a big band. It's basically, I gravitate to it, although it's disguised. Mm-hmm. Charlie Mingus is a blues band. Again, he's, that is the underpinning thing. And so mm-hmm. you find yourself, if you're into blues, you find yourself gravitating one way. It's not that Duke mm-hmm. Anderson's music isn't steeped in blues. It is, but they are quite significantly into it. But it, mm. it's not sometimes apparent. But but mm. um, but you you re- you find yourself if somebody said, "Are you Ellington or Basie?" I'd say, oh, "I love them all, but I'm Count Basie. I like yeah. that." Yeah, I mean, and I didn't yeah. really know why I was picking it. Yeah, but it would be because I mean, of the blues, you know. I mean, is that interesting? Is that because, from your experience, is that because the one four five basic blues structure works for all these guys? Say, for instance, the bebop. Um, jazz, no, the, 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 the harmonical content will be much deeper in some ways. But for example, um, I know we're digressing slightly, but within Count mm. Basie's band, sometimes they would, uh, in the early days, what they would do is they would 
not have certain things written and they'd improvise them. And then mm. the next time they got together, they'd use some of those improvisations as a structure mm. of, a, of the tune they'd written. And then and this and so that it, it kind of evolved. And then at one period of history with Count Basie, he'd use a whole horn section of saxophones and use them as a rhythm like in rhythm and blues. So I mm. wasn't conscious of hearing this. But as you quite rightly say, that mm. blues thing underneath, he's, he's switching it around and the mm. soloist at the front's got like a, a rhythm underneath that we recognize. Mm. And it's, mm. it's dressed up in a slightly different way. But, yeah. but, but, if, but right down to the bones of it, as you say, that's going on. And, and, and you wonder when you hear two orchestras, you, if you're into blues, you automatically go, oh, I like that one. It's not that mm. I don't really like the other one, but you, you sort mm. of gravitate towards that sort of blues thing. Yeah, and so yeah. that's kind of how I find it. And, um, mm. and of course, then there was the other video that I did, um, yeah. a train video. I can't remember what I called that one. I think it was train, train sound, ideas, train sounds, blues, harmonica. Was yeah. It? What would you? What was your thought on that one? Yeah. Well, I was looking at that one. Yeah. I think again, you, there was a sort of an effects aspect to it that you were kind of. I could hear obviously what you're doing. I mean, obviously when you present these videos, obviously you've got the big steam train behind yeah, you. There's right, there's yeah. there's a cultural reference going on there. The very well, those those snowplow things or the cow. Oh, the cow that, catchers on yeah, the front, the, like the old, yeah. There's cows yeah. flying everywhere. <laughs> and of course, the, 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 the harmonica I'm using there, I'm using either a low E or a low F. Cause yeah, you say, because you say low, yeah. yeah. Like, like I'm thinking, in my head, I'm thinking baritone mm. sax. I'm thinking of yeah. the steam and everything moving. Mm. So I'm mm. using low harmonicas. And with that one... That was based on a tune that Jerry Mulligan wrote called Flying Scotsman. He, he, he again, uh, he uses a similar idea in, in developing the arrangement. And I did the same idea. I think it was third position again. I found that his harmony lines and everything sat perfectly on the blues harmonica. So mm. it's actually not difficult to coach. I can no. coach you on it within coach on a letter and within a, within a, a week or two, you'd probably be able to do what I'm doing. Um, mm. But it sounds effective. And on that one, I did it completely acoustically. I didn't even put it through a mic. I just did it acoustically. But mm. it's that gruff sounding sort of smoker's cough sound that you're kind of after, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, well, you definitely that, get that with the, the lower... The lower harmonicas. end, yeah, the yeah, lower yeah, end, definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a great sound. I've got a couple of low. I've got a low F. Um, I've got low F, which is pretty. I really like playing that one because I can do just distract. It's Sunny Boy Williamson's yes. stuff. I can do, and also John Mayo. He does a lot of low. Oh, does he? Yeah, stuff. he does some low pieces. Yeah. and I found with the blues harp that um, mm. the only low E's about as low as I get, and I can I for guys that do like overblows it. It's, you can more or less get the four overblow and a low, but once you get below low E, low F, you can't really get some of those uh, advanced notes. But you don't need them because there's so much richness there in, those, mm. in the lower mm. half. It's a, it's such mm. an exciting little thing to play those mm. low mm. that low end gruff hoarse sort yeah, of dry sound. That um, yeah. it's, it's a really nice change, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's a good, and as I say, culturally, the train is a fantastic idea to work with for the harmon with the harmonica because of the way it fits in with American sort of 
history, uh, the whole idea of the um, the train crossing America. There's the hoboing, you know, all the hoboing oh, yes. yeah. jump on the box cars, and it's it's steeped. It's it's in within the history of America, isn't it? It's an amazing um, idea concept. It is, yeah. And of course, it's the train. That was the thing. And you mentioned hoboing there. Same thing happened with the um, big band of Count Basie that happened to the guys who were gravitating from the country to Chicago to play harmonica. Basie's band, he evolved from uh, Modern Band. When he died, he took, took the chair and, and built the band from Kansas City, coming up to Chicago, coming up mm -hmm. to record in Chicago um, yeah. in the 1930s yeah. and 40s. So even they were, were doing a similar sort of gravitation link, that the, yeah. that the guys link, who were just yeah. looking for work were doing. Yeah. You know, and I think I read somewhere that when Muddy Waters first arrived in Chicago, I think if memory serves me right, he was actually driving a truck for a while or something. He didn't actually yeah. just come straight in, but then the work started to develop yeah. when he got there. But I think mm. they were just, you know, they were all just coming, coming initially. Coming up north. To, just traveling yeah, all time work you know yeah yeah, um, yeah. so it's, it's interesting that it sort of goes all the way right across the board and i suppose that uh, that junction with the blues harmonica that um, mm. the guy with mulligan that kind of brings us on to talk about um, how we can talk about the blues harmonica and to talk about the great uh, Miles Davis. So we're going to come on to talk about Miles Davis. And for the listeners, this is all about blues harmonicas. RJ's a harmonica player and I'm a harmonica player. But Miles is a, a great guy to have a look into because he's so he was so open to change and he's he's a cornerstone in so many different types of music. Now I know you've been uh, recently looking at his uh, autobiography, haven't you? That's RJ? right. So, that's that's so, right. How do you, what, what would you say he was from sort of an inspirational standpoint? I mean, from any, from any music, from classical, blues, it doesn't matter what you are, from an inspirational point of view, what do you think he, he represents, basically? Yeah, he's quite interesting. In fact, yeah, as you say, I've been looking through the book and I'm still reading the book because it's quite a yeah. lot of tome, really. He likes uh, describing in a lot of detail, which again, I think... He likes his of, expletives. He likes his expletives, <laughs> yeah. And in some ways, when you're reading the book... Um, I often sort of think, is this a piece of art in itself, or is it? How much of it is him? How much of it is he? Are, you, are we picking up? So somebody else may go, might just say two pages for a particular chapter, where he gives you twenty pages, and you think, yeah, well, that's obviously just a bit him. Of a rant, yeah. He does, he does sort of like like to go on. And then previously to that, I watched the film Birth of the Cool, which came out in two thousand nineteen. It was called which Stanley Morgan Nelson. was a part of. Yeah, he played like baritone in, oh, in Birth in, of the Cool. Yeah. And it was really interesting to get an overview. And as you sort of say, Miles Davis is this one of these characters is almost like an icon for creativity and innovation for mm. artists. And as you sort of say, he the bits I take from him and when you talk about him in terms of blues is the fact that he can re um, reinvent himself to suit what he's trying to do. And Absolutely. he is so cool. Yes. He is so cool. He could do anything. Yeah, which would be useful to have, you know. Yeah, and I think I think with the, with the blues harmonica in mind, you know that that idea that he was always on about originality. For all people learning blues harmonica, it's important to get your own way of doing it, as you and I have always talked about. And you know, there's that old saying that we used to say in the jazz world is so you're better to be number one of yourself 
mm. rather than number two, three, four or five of somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. you know, you're better off only playing for six months and you can only play three or four tunes. But OK, that's what you do. You can do a little bit of improv. It's not OK. It's OK. But it's you. It's you rather than yeah. a guy that he's another little Walter. And we've mentioned this before. He's another big Walter. He's yeah. this. He's that. Mm. And mm. all very, very good, but we're not moving the music forward. And no. they're always going to be number two of Little Walter because no one's going to replace mm. him. No one's going to replace Sonny Boy. They're, they were mm. greats, greats. Mm. You know, they're my heroes. And uh, along with the jazzers, they're my heroes, you know, like Miles Davis. So, so yeah. you can't replace those. So you've, at some stage, you've got to, got to work on, on, on trying to become yourself. And that's by doing the things that you and I talk about and, and, and work towards that, really. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think, obviously, with Miles Davis in mind, is he obviously worked quite hard and emulated his his heroes, as it were. Yeah, he took Cliff Bound, Isley Gillespie, Fats Navarro, and mm. as, uh, as Gillen said, put him into a funnel, came out with Miles Davis, is known mm. as a sound innovator, and there ain't too many, you know. That's a famous yeah. saying of, of Gil mm. Evans. And at one stage in my life, I thought I had to get close to these people um, in the 80s, and I got as close as I could be. Met a lot of the guys who'd worked with him, and I had one right. really yeah. good friend. Yeah. Who, um, he'd been a classical musician in symphony orchestras. He was also a good jazz player mm. and taught mm. me a lot in London when I was a young guy. He was much older than me. Mm. But I found myself in the north of England, and in the early 90s, he was coming up for something, can't remember, and we said, well, I'll tell you what, we'll meet up in the city, um, we'll have a bite to eat, and then we'll go and see his friend, who was Dave Holland, the, mm. uh, the great bass player who worked with Miles Davis, British guy, worked with Miles Davis in the early 70s. So I said, that's great. He says, I haven't seen Dave for 20 years, big friend of mine. Mm. So I met him at the station. Uh, in the city and we were walking up from the station mid-afternoon who comes out of this great big hotel but the great jazz drummer Smitty Smith Steve Coleman I think was on sax Robin Eubanks four or five black guys and there was a big tall white guy with a beard in front Dave Holland mm -hmm. he's walking mm -hmm. towards us and my friend hasn't seen him for 20 years and he went hi Dave hi Dave and he went oh hi and they shook hands he said how's it going yeah okay how's it going and the drummer, Smitty Smith, Marvin Smith, Smith says, man, he says, do these guys know each other? And I said, yeah, uh, they went to college together. I said, they haven't seen each other for 20 years. <laughs> and he just went, and my friend said, Dave, you're going to send me that album from Italy a number of years ago. And he goes, oh, well, you know how it is. And they were, what was beautiful about this moment was the fact that here were two guys that hadn't seen each other for 20 years. Mm. And it was like it was yesterday. Yeah. They, they both these characters lived in the moment. And yeah. it was a beautiful human um, uh, moment in time to see yeah. that. And anyway, yeah. Dave Holland says, um, Marvin's writing at the moment. He needs some manuscript. And he says, we're going into town. He says, we're playing tonight. Um, Irish Centre tonight eight, nine o'clock, we'll be there. Well, we'll take Marvin up there. I know where the music shop is. This is great. So we take this American guy, brilliant drummer, up to this music shop. He gets his manuscript and he says, there's a drumming place upstairs. Do you want to have a look, Marvin? He went, nah, man, okay, we'll have a little look. So we went upstairs with him 
And uh, I was just looking around, looking a bit bored, and they had brushes, you know, the brushes for doing ballads with on, on, the, on the snare drum, mm -hmm. all in a big pile with a snare drum next to it. Mm -hmm. And he, I said, you surely don't use those intermittent things. You use either the real thing or those, don't you? And he goes, well, they're okay, man. They're okay. And he, he pulled some brushes out, mm. and he went over to the snare drum that was just by it, and he started moving around the snare drum, you know, one hand under the other and starts going. Then he started doing something on it. Mm. Now, my friend and I were looking at this, and upstairs, you've got to imagine, there were about 10 or 12 people upstairs in this drumming shop. Mm. Cat sleeve t-shirts. If they had hair, it mm. was long, mm -hmm. very long, everywhere. It was hard rock, hard mm. rock, blues mm -hmm. and rock, but a lot of rockers up there. Mm. And this guy starts just doing something on a snare drum. Mm. When he'd finished a couple of minutes later and we were ready to leave, everybody, everybody mm. in that room was surrounding him, looking at him, mesmerized by what he'd done on this snare drum. Mm. My mm. friend went, uh, He's with us. <laughs> I said, "That's cool, yeah." Night, nine o'clock, and we just left. The three of us yeah. left. And I had a big smile on my face. We walked out the door, and these guys they didn't say a word, but they just watched what he did. It was unbelievable. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was another another instance in in life where something very small. You realise the quality that these world-class players bring. Yeah, you know? when, when someone does like two minutes on the old snare drum yeah. and does something fantastic, really, are you not hearing like 20 years of experience? And well, I, I could see, well, I've obviously been playing with jazz drummers and I've seen the normal way they go about it, but he did start doing something on it. He did mm. the normal things they do, and then I didn't know what he was doing, but there was a lot mm. going on. But yeah. I could feel that people were sort of, a presence. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? It was it? just it's my sort of... friend at the end when he just went, mm. he's it with us. I think when you, go into, <laughs> when you go into sort of these music shops, isn't there, there's always that sort of, there's the notice by the guitars that says, do not play Stairway to Heaven, <laughs> all this. Oh, right, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go in and sort of like show off a little bit, don't they? And they know they've got a little bit of a captive audience because yeah. everybody's in the music hey, shop. Yeah, Marvin wasn't music. like that. I think I probably goaded him to pick them up, actually. And and, and they, they they you know, he's, um, yeah. I don't think that they're that way inclined. But, no. to, but, but yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a very interesting moment to the way that he captivated the thing, People you think that I wouldn't think would be remotely interested in yeah. in what he was doing. You would know? he have been recognisable, do you think, to these people? All these no, people he wouldn't know. know. They wouldn't know who he was at all. No, no, no. he was um, Smithy Smith. He's still on the on the the, the circuit. Yeah. He's a known as a world class world class drummer. Prayed mm. with everybody. Mm. That does sound yeah. really amazing. Kind of just a little experience, a sort of thing to sort of. Have been there to see that thing was it did you like when you say we're in that music shop was there an expectation like you knew who he was and you thought okay well if he picks up these um sticks or brushes and he does something on that snare drum i I'm might listen well to have, that i might well have in the back of my mind thought that yeah. I, I wasn't fully conscious of it yeah. but i i don't know i just had this idea that if i i just thought if i had i didn't openly do that but mm. maybe i just walked upstairs and you know, all the heavy, heavy rocker guys were in Maybe there. Maybe he just had a presence that everybody was thinking, right, he's either going to do something fantastic. He could have just dropped them, couldn't he? Well, he was, yeah, and then he, and he could have said, oh, yeah, I've seen those. Come on, let's go sort of thing. But he yeah. didn't. So do you think it was actually a, it was actually a sort of very sort of special moment? Do you think it was something that, there was something yeah, about what he did? 
I think so. Yeah, and and um, a magic I mean, of some sort. Yeah, it's just it's just you know you see those. I mean, it, but but that you sometimes you come across guys like that in the music world. So um, Miles Davis. And, yeah, I was going to say there's something I was going to ask your opinion on with Miles Davis. Say for him when he was going through his life. Do you think artists back then were able to be more riskier than they would be now? Because there's so much, you know, people are sort of playing. Like, say, we when you talk about the '70s stuff that Miles did, I mean, a lot of people can. I was trying to listen to some of it the other day, and I was thinking, God, I can hardly listen to this. Not that in a, not in a bad way, but obviously he was prepared to take that risk, wasn't he? And we yeah. these days we all expect to expect something that's going to be good and we're all kind of maybe inhibited because we think, oh this has got to be really good and we're less able to make the risks do you think here was in a time where he could take risks more i i think um he just sort of taking the risks it's a good question and it's a really hard one to answer because they're always pushing the boundaries and miles had this interest of putting people together in bands that you wouldn't normally yeah exactly together and get mm. the best out of them, uh, mm. which is mm. absolutely incredible. Uh, for taking is risks, that a talent all... he has as well? Do you think Miles has that? Miles had that talent. Yeah, I think he had that talent, and I, but I, I also think that um, taking the risk—it's like it in blues, is or in or in any genre—to take that risk. They were taking risks to start with, and, and you—it's you, very difficult in later life if it hadn't been for Miles with the the jazz mm. fusion and the rock elements more people wouldn't have got into mm, blues mm. and jazz. And I think that then the progressive rock era of the the more, when people started listening to solos in rock bands where they never did before, probably was in part due to Miles. He yeah. sort of bridged the gap a little bit. So it, mm. I think it helped everything mm. from blues all, mm. all the way through. I think it helped, mm. helped mm. everything, you know. I think he's definitely... You know. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, I think he's definitely a character that you know whatever you're doing. But blues, we're talking about blues here. You can learn a lot from what he did. And, and I think there's so um, many avenues of blues still to explore with the with the mm -hmm. harmonica. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, and if people, if enough people can try and go down their own route, it needs yeah, loads exactly, of us yeah. to do it. Mm. Then something will emerge. But mm. nothing's really emerged for many many years. You know. Mm. I think that's so, really interesting as a ending of the kind of discussion. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, we, it's, it's strange to, 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 to be, it's nice to talk about somebody who's got that much influence. And we brought it, as you say, back to the, the blues harmonica, the yeah. let's hope, RJ, mm. that we can be the ones to, to take it forward to the next exactly, level. Exactly, yeah, take the risks. Example take, might be. I think it, you know, it helps, even if you're learning, it's that you learn through your mistakes to do, but as you're learning, you're going to be making mistakes all the time. But it's just not to feel too worried about those mistakes and learn from them, which I think is a good yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Okay, uh, okay we'll fantastic. Wrap up there, RJ. Thanks very much. Cool. Um, Excellent. And we'll catch you next time. Okay, my thanks to RJ. Hopefully, this episode has been a benefit to people who love blues, like blues harmonica, thinking of taking up blues harmonica maybe now. Or people in general that just like to talk about music and listen to interesting things. So, stay safe out there. And remember, stay cool, stay hip, get harping.